Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality with your hosts, Brittany Hartley and Bill Reed. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we shared. And now, today's podcast episode. All right, so this is Bill Real, and Brittany Hartley will join me here in just a couple minutes. Uh, she's running just a touch behind She's in charge of the topic today, but I thought we could go over maybe a few things and I could share an idea or two uh, before she gets here. We'll see how this goes. Um, but folks, I just want to just note, I appreciate all of you guys as listeners. Uh, it means a lot that you tune into the show. Um, in this arena where uh, we have other shows under our umbrella and often are dealing with a specific religious system and helping people have enough information to to navigate their journey inside that system on its own. Um, this podcast does something really different, which is it for the most part attempts to avoid even mentioning that system and uh, attempts to try to give those who follow this podcast a opportunity. Uh, sorry, my hair is a bit of a mess, an opportunity to uh, learn and think about and talk about things that have nothing to do with that particular system uh, but rather second half of life, how to be a healthier human being. And uh, one of the things uh, I wanted to talk about today um, before Britt gets here um, is because there aren't very many views to this. And I don't know if folks are aware of it or if they uh, uh, have maybe listened to it in other platforms or what. Um, but it's the series that we did almost uh, for the Almost Awakened podcast called Buddhism for Beginners. And I'll just want to pull up maybe episode one and uh, I'll put it up on the screen uh, here for just a moment. Let me do that. Uh, Britt is here. Hey, Britt, how are you? Hey, Bill. Are you ready yet or you want me to put you back in the down below? I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Cool. Let me finish just the thought I was sharing yeah, here before you jump absolutely. in. Mm -hmm. um, share screen and let me. Uh, I was just listening, by the way. I, I generally don't listen to my own content, um, but this... I never do. But Yeah, yeah. But this Buddhism for Beginners that we did, um, I think, was just so exceptional. Uh, and, and I just noticed that on YouTube, it doesn't have a ton of views or anything. So I just wanted to kind of mention it. But the, this was before Britt was uh, brought on as the co-host here for the Almost Awakened podcast. But she, along with two other folks, Anthony Miller and Jana Spangler... Uh, did a 12-part series with me on Buddhism for Beginners. And I, I thought, I went back and listened to part one today, and phenomenal conversation that the four of us had throughout this series. Uh, and I was reminded by that by listening today. Folks, if you haven't listened to these, if you want to start somewhere with this channel, uh, my suggestion is to listen to those 12 episodes. You'll get a good feel for Brittany Hartley, uh, because she is in most of those with us. And um, just great conversations, but I just want to say, like, I was telling people before you jumped on, Britt, that you know this channel is a little different than all the other podcasts that we run underneath this entity. Entity, we we don't really mention that specific faith system that we came from very much. We try to really give people second half of life tools. And uh, folks, I hope that those of you who are listening and watching this show are really enjoying uh, 
the topics that we're talking about in the uh, level of depth that we're jumping in to, to do that. And I think today will be another great one that you prepared here on uh, spiritual bypassing. So without anything else, I, we can kind of move into the show, but there's a 12 part series, folks, check it out. And otherwise, uh, Britt, it's all yours. I think that content is some of the best that you've ever put out. I mean, it was just really solid here. You know, we were so vulnerable about talking about our lives. Like I still struggle with this, or I had a really good breakthrough with this concept. And yeah, it was just such such a good ride. I have really yeah. fond memories of that ride that we did together. We'll have to do another book where the four of us get together and do chapter by chapter because that was that was really that was some good content, guys. If you missed it, I, and I think the secret there was the four of us know each other well enough that it became sort of a kind of a natural conversation. That if we were all four sitting in a hot tub, uh, maybe an adult beverage in our hand, and and chatting about the universe and life and how to be a better human being. I think that would have been the conversation that came out of it. Yeah, that's good stuff. Cool. Well, today we have spiritual bypassing. And the reason that I'm so excited about this one today is because spiritual bypassing is something that happens equally inside and outside of organized religion. So in some of our episodes, like we're talking about shame or something like that. And when we're doing that, you know, we're kind of more talking about the organized religious systems that we come from, particularly Western Christianity, and we're trying to reframe something so that we can move on. But the interesting thing about spiritual bypassing, it's is it's just as prevalent with new age spirituality and gurus and Buddhists, and it is just a human temptation for everyone in and outside of religion. Um, and as we go on, there's a couple of them that it's like, oh, okay, that's my temptation. There it is, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so it's just something that's there for everyone. So it's like a really great equalizer of, hey, here's something that we apparently all do, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey and in or out of religion, and something to really be aware of. So this is. It's going to be really fun. So did you go down the teal swan rabbit hole? Yeah. And I'll just tell you, um, because I want us, you and me, to avoid throughout whatever career this is that we have these conversations with folks. I want to completely avoid us becoming somebody's guru, right? We're here to give some information. And I, you know, I, I don't know what the line is. But what I what I what caught me as I listened to the Teal Swan documentary as I watched most of that um, is that sometimes and, and also as I prepared for this episode, some of the folks who speak a sort of truth to spiritual bypassing might be the greatest spiritual bypassers out there, and uh, and and so you have to be really careful because the experts telling you a healthier spirituality can also be the very folks giving you woo or spiritual bypassing mechanisms that avoid real growth. So she is so interesting to me. Um, I think she's interesting to me because like half the stuff that she says is like good stuff. Yeah. It's like legit stuff. You know, it's yeah. like going into your trauma and doing shadow work and, um, you know, saying truths that you haven't been able to say yet and this kind of deep work and, Half the time, so I've listened to her and I just kind of listened to her to see where she goes. And it's so interesting because I've never met someone where it's like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Like she's just all over the place on my BS radar. 
And so that's really fun for me to watch her. She did this one show where she was kind of helping someone who had been adopted um, kind of face her own feelings of abandonment so that she could feel like she was a better mother or something like that. And like, yeah, that's really deep, powerful work for that woman. And then she like goes into like post and past lives and um, suicide is like a reset and like all kinds of energy things. And it's like, whoa. And so she is so, so interesting to me because she's not a hundred percent woo or like a great therapist who's just giving you, you know, gold every time. She's just like really, really mixed and really complex, um, which is why she was such an interesting character to me. And she's also very sexy. So that's fun because it's always fun when you have a spiritual guru who's like playing into their sexiness too, because yeah. that's such an interesting dichotomy yeah. um, to In see that from a female side instead of just the male side of, you know, God told me to have sex with you kind of thing that we get from the male side. She's, she also uses her sexuality, which is super interesting too. And when you watch the documentary, it's such a, I don't know if, you know, they obviously agreed to be, to put this documentary together. Right. And then when it comes out, it really doesn't necessarily paint them as, uh, as the greatest thing, you know, to spirituality. And, so I, I got to believe they wrestled with that after it was done. But as I'm sitting there watching, it, it struck me all the dynamics between her ex-husband who stays with her and then his girl and the trust and distrust and how people can accomplish Teal Swan's mission. And um, and as you pointed out, the, su the uh, suicide, oh my goodness. Um, like reset. Yeah, yeah. But she would talk to people who were on the verge of taking their life and her advice is sometimes I was like, oh my gosh, please don't give that advice because I think you have a uh, the propensity to actually send someone off to do that. Um, because again, li people's lives are messy and we all ought to be really careful when people are fragile and tender and the advice we give them in those moments. Um, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, she's super interesting. If you haven't watched the documentary on Hulu, it's a fun little dive um, if you're interested in that sort of thing, cults yeah. and gurus. And But the reason that we're bringing it up here is that um, today we're talking about spiritual bypassing. And so it was so interesting that she'd be giving some kind of profound advice. And then <clears throat> I love the moment where a guy was like, well, who do you look for for inspiration? And she just, she gets so mad. She gets so triggered. And she's like, I'm at the top. There's no one that I get inspiration from. You don't ask the fastest runner who um, is faster than them. I'm it, you know, that kind right. of thing. And it made him super uncomfortable. He was like, well, I don't even want to trust you because that seems really untrustworthy that like you don't have anyone to check your biases, to teach you, to help you process things. Um and then there was, you know, all this stuff about no one's allowed to have a boundary with her. Mm. And like the the affidavits that she makes her followers sign are like, you know, she just has total control and you she you know, you can't have any boundaries. You can't have relationships. I mean, it was just it was such a perfect example of someone who has like real followers, like people believe, some people believe like she is Jesus Christ. She knows everything. She's the greatest spiritual guru. And then you can see her in the documentary do some spiritual bypassing that I'm so spiritual that I don't need anyone 
to check my biases because I'm on such a great, you know, I'm on such a high level compared Could you to you. Imagine, I mean, you and I are fairly educated. We've, we've spent a lot of time in this sort of self-help growth development, uh, space. Um, can you ever imagine responding to anyone that you kind of have it figured out and there would be nobody that you really would get value from listening to? That's shocking to me. I actually had a thought when we were watching it that if you and I wanted to put on a retreat, just based on what we know, okay, because we've been we have been playing in this world for some time now, yeah. you know, a, at least a good decade, right? Right. And, you know, let's say you and I put together some kind of weekend where we have some plant medicine and some rituals and some trauma and some, you know, we do all that. Yeah. Could we put something together that would be pretty good for people? I think so. Should mm -hmm. we? No, right. we are not qualified. You know, like if someone was suicidal, yeah. like you and I, we know some stuff. We could put on a retreat if there was a gun to our head or something like that. Or maybe we will for the things that, you know, we are qualified for. But we are not qualified to um, tell someone what to do when they come and say that they're suicidal. We certainly. Yeah, go see a therapist. Right. Go see All a the therapist. suicide hotline. Do something you know? other than use me as the end all be all for how you'll handle that. And so it's so hard because, yes, there are so many people. Everyone is hungry. Everyone is suffering. Everyone's trying to figure out what is life and all these things. And she's actually talking about it. Um, but she's doing it in a way where, like, yeah, she is the end-all, be-all, rather than you and I would be very quick to say, like, nope, like, yeah. go see a therapist that that's outside of my jurisdiction here. Um, so anyway, so she's so interesting. And so we're going to be using her to kind of dive into spiritual bypassing. And we've said this word a couple of times, so we should probably define it. So spiritual bypassing, this is a very recent term. So like 1980s, this term has not been around very long. And it's uh, it describes a tend tendency to use spirituality to avoid complex psychological issues, fears, emotions, all the things. Right. And I, it's so interesting. I actually learned this in preparing for this episode that it was uh, the the term was first coined by a guy named John Wellwood in a book called Toward a Psychology of Awakening. And this guy is a therapist and a Buddhist teacher. And so he's a super interesting guy. He's really trying to understand human flourishing on both like kind of the Buddhist side and the therapist side. And he notices as he's going on, man, everybody that I'm uh, in my Buddhist community, I'm starting to see that people are using their spirituality to sidestep deeper issues. So in his own words, he says, spiritual by bypassing is a term I coined to describe a process I saw happening in the Buddhist community I was in and also in myself. Although most of us were sincerely trying to work on ourselves, I noticed a widespread widespread tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. And so he's noticing it because he's a therapist, but he's noticing it in his Buddhist community with people who are like really legit spiritual people trying to, um, you know, become more awake and alive and all the things that, uh, a Buddhist Sangha would do. So engaging in spiritual bypassing means avoiding feelings of anger, believing in your own spiritual superiority as a way to hide from insecurities, 
believing that traumatic events must serve as learning experiences or finding a silver lining behind every negative experience, believing that spiritual practices such as meditation or prayer are always positive, really high idealism, feelings of detachment, focusing on spirituality and ignoring the present, um, only focusing on the spiritual, on the positive and being overly optimistic, which we see a lot in like pop psychology or um, modern kind of Instagram spirituality where it's like manifest positive, blah, blah, blah. Projecting your own negative feelings onto others, pretending things are fine when they're not, thinking that people can overcome their problems through positive thinking, um, rising above your emotions and using defense mechanisms such as denial and repression. And so we're going to go through some of these, some classic kind of examples. And there's a couple that like, I'm going to be honest, are going to be like, yeah, I, there's a tendency there. There's a, at least a temptation there for me to, to do that in order to avoid something. Yeah. And my only thought here is on the front end is, um, when you're in the middle of using these mechanisms as your spirituality or as the way in which you define growth or um, perceive that you're doing living a good life or trying to, it's you don't really catch the fact that it's actually the very thing that inhibits you from uh, real life growth, real life progression. And we'll get into that uh, as you move along the outline. Yeah. And so some of these examples are like, you know, you create your own happiness. It was for the best, good vibes only, thoughts and prayers. And I talked about this a lot when um, my daughter had fallen out of the window. And so I was dealing with a trauma situation. And so all my kind of family and friends, you know, we talk and they would send texts or whatever. And I was almost flooded with this sense of like how everyone was coping with trauma, you know, people who really cared about me, people who really cared about my daughter. And it was a lot of like, I just wanted someone to sit with me and just like, let me cry that like, maybe my daughter was dying, or maybe she was brain dead. You know, there was a lot of times where that was what I was feeling. Right, or like, Bill, you, you gave great texts, which were like, I don't know what to say. There's nothing that I can say to make this better, but I'm here for you, you know, and those were great. But I also got a lot of like, um, you know, it's, it's a miracle that she's alive and it's like, okay, you can think that, but she may be brain dead. Like you're not sitting with me in the reality of the situation. You're just trying to find a silver lining so that you don't have to think about the trauma. Right. Or it was, you know, sending thoughts and prayers, or I put your name on the, on the prayer roll or, you know, whatever they did. And um, there was just a lot of spiritual bypassing that really inhibited people's ability to be able to sit with me in that moment. Um, And so I think with trauma, these things really, really come out where you can see it because trauma are emotions that we really don't want to feel. And so I think that was really the last time where I had um, just a lot of examples of spiritual bypassing. So the causes, spiritual bypassing acts as a form of a defense mechanism. It protects us from things that are too painful to deal with, but this protection comes at a cost, right? So we make the stress worse in the long term, or we have to have blinders on, right? Because we can't um, have anyone else's point of view mess up kind of our story about a situation, Um, We see this in wellness culture, especially with women, this idea of like toxic 
positivity, permanent optimism, using um, using things like gratitude to like shove down negative emotions. And I even see it where women will, uh, if you're coming from an organized religion, um, not only is there like a wellness culture of like only positive thinking, but it also can be with food. So like only eat good positive foods so that you can feel great and think great things and manifest great things. And it's like this anxiety that it has to be like perfect all the time or else um, it's all going to come crashing down um, rather than being able to be more flexible with different kinds of food and different kinds of thoughts and different kinds of experiences. It's like this kind of toxic positivity, even with food too. And so they had to like redefine a new eating disorder, which I think is orthorexia, which is like obsession with like only eating quote unquote things that you've put in whatever your good category is. And it's a kind of like, toxic positivity in order to have a defense mechanism. Yeah. Just, just to know, like life is hard and big things are going to happen that hurt there. This life isn't a win-win. There's going to be trauma that's taken on. There's going to be uh, heartache. There's going to be horrific things. The, the passing of people you love, uh, you're going to get fired from a job. You're going to, uh, struggle with negative feelings or depression. You're at any time the mechanism is meant for you just to skip over that and not sit with any of it. Um, you can almost assuredly define those things as spiritual bypassing. Yeah. This is an interesting comment where this, where one of our listeners lived in an ashram and there was so much kind of emotional masking that it came out on the other end as rage, which I think is really interesting. Um, because there is a cost to doing spiritual bypassing. It'll catch up with you later or it really affects your ability. For me, I see it a lot with like, you have to limit your worldview so small in order for your spiritual bypassing to work that you become almost trapped in your own mind, right? Trapped in your own beliefs. I see that a lot um, in my extended family. I have some extended family that get into like the prepper, like really extreme religious beliefs. Okay, so the impact. Yeah, go just ahead. Note one other thing, which is when we first hear this, by the way, the term to me, I, I struggled a little bit preparing for this because it, there's a little bit of something not really solid to grab onto here. I, I just want to note that not spiritual bypassing doesn't always show up as a religious mechanism. Some of these things seem very secular and often are, and it's not all religious language. It's not all. Uh, this is what my church tells me to do in order to avoid feeling my feelings. It, it can be lots of places in your life. Um, I think the idea behind spiritual is really more in the sense of how you and I use it, not really to pertain to a religion, but rather how we um, sense our connection to the outside world and look in the mirror and develop ourselves in such a way as to become healthier, more vibrant, more um, responsible human beings. Yeah. I mean, think of something like kind of the militant brand of atheism, since we're talking about this exists just as much outside of religion and there's no one more irreligious than, than atheists. But if you've ever met like a kind of cocky atheist, right, where they know everything and they're just like on their high horse about being so much better than everyone, that's going to be, you know, that's really going to impact your ability to, um, have relationships and understand people and understand yourself and grow 
when you really walk around thinking that you're better than everyone else. And I know atheists who use their um, maybe knowledge about evolution or, or superior or superiority over religious people who they see as, um, you know, simple minded rather than going about thinking that everyone has a story that will break your heart or everyone has something to teach me. Right. Those would be more humble ways of going about relationships. So, yeah, I mean, this is really it happens in religion. There are some time religion will sometimes codify it. Right. Mm -hmm. But it the tendency is just everywhere. Um, yeah. And it's just something we all do because icky feelings hurt. <laughs> and hard so we, stuff. we do that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. So impacts. So um, how spiritual bypassing Im impacts us, uh, denies us difficult emotions. Um, so negative emotions like anger and jealousy and disgust rather than deal with the negative feelings or as, as we, when we did the Buddhist uh, book together, we talked a lot about our feelings are just coming to tea. They have something to tell us and they come and they go. Right. Yeah. Um, dismissing other people's emotions. So spiritual bypassing can be a tool to dismiss what others are feeling. And this is one I see so much in the pain of deconstruction because you have people who are going through a faith deconstruction and they just want someone to hear them, especially family members, a lot of times parents, but I'm just overwhelmed with um, just because of the circles that I, I kind of am in in helping people with deconstruction, there is so much pain there from people not being able to, able to be seen by parents or sisters or a family. And it's because if the family dynamic is such that we do spiritual bypassing in order to um, not feel negative emotions and what you're saying is giving me negative emotions, then um, there'll be some kind of shutdown or gaslighting or something to not hear what the other person is saying. And that causes a lot of pain and people don't realize why can't my parent sit with me and, um, you know, just hear my story about the pain of whatever they're deconstructing. And I think it can give us a little bit more compassion to understand that if people have been spiritual bypassing their whole life and be told, been told that it's good in order to not feel any negative feelings, they're not going to be able to meet you with their negative, with your negative feelings. They're just not going to be able to, their brains have a tool there that they're, that they've used a billion times that is going to prevent them from being able to really see you in your faith deconstruction. And I just see that all the time um, in family dynamics and that can be really painful for everyone. Yeah. Just, just to know the other side of the coin, which is that if you really do want to become a healthier human being and you really want to see real growth, you have to face your feelings. You have to learn to sit with them because life is made up of you having on the front end of life been taught and come up with your own mechanisms to um, avoid the world as, as it is uh, to either push things away or to cling to things that, uh, that just come and go. And, and so this idea that, you know, to sit with your feelings and go like, look, I feel sad right now. Like, yeah, I can do some tricks and, you know, maybe avoid that, but there's going to come a point in life where you can't. Or on the other side of it, as you're also pointing out, sometimes we use mechanisms to avoid our feelings that also cause others terrible harm, uh, additional trauma, um, pain, 
uh, and frustration. And until we're willing to sit with our feelings and show up a different way, um, we're going to constantly essentially be tricking ourselves. Uh, so we've got to figure out how to uh, confront our feelings. And spiritual bypassing is uh, a tactic used to feel better or to avoid someone else's hurt. But it keeps you from uh, seeing the things you need to to make the changes to be a better human being yourself. And it'll really limit that relationship, right? And so, um, it's up to the person to really is this is this child important to me enough that I'm going to sit down and feel negative feelings, or am I going to use this little trick that I've you know always yeah. been using? Yeah. Um, so the next one is avoiding responsibility, which we just talked about a little bit. But spiritual bypassing can reduce your discomfort if you're feeling cognitive dissonance or you're feeling like, um, how can I be? Like if, if in your head you feel like I'm a good person, then when your child comes to you and says, hey, this this way of parenting or, you know, has some critique for you, it's going to be a struggle to take responsibility for the hurtful things you've done. Mm. And also just like the suffering in the world, right? Religions have a lot of, um, because these things have been codified for so long, um, we all do this, but religions kind of have catchphrases for it of just ways to not have to think about the immense suffering in the world. Right. And so when you look at something like Yemen and, you know, these children are starving and this kind of thing, just thinking, Oh, you know, the, those children will be with Jesus soon or um, Jesus is coming. Plan. God has a plan. It's all going to work out in the end. The last shall be first. Whatever the cliche is, you can see it. I can see it in real time. Oh, that made you uncomfortable. And your brain just did a little trick there so that it doesn't have to feel uncomfortable with the mm. immense amount of suffering in the world. Yeah. God does work in mysterious ways. Always mysterious, you know, except in like the ways that we want him to not be mysterious, which is like yeah. gay people. We're just sure, but everything yeah, else is we mysterious. Got. We got that yeah. one figured out. Yeah. <laughs> Lost car keys and gay that people one. were nailed. That's right. Everything else is just, you know, mysterioso. <laughs> uh, the next one is judging others. So judging other people for expressing anger is a form of spiritual bypassing. So I see this especially a lot in debates around feminism. So for example, if there's women who are kind of like, they're angry about something, they're protesting, um, you'll get a lot of pushback from certain communities saying, oh, look at those women. You know, they're just not, they're, they're just angry. What angry, bitter women, angry, bitter ex-Christians, angry, bitter, uh, you know, bring down the patriarchy feminists. And it's a way to, I'm going to judge you about your anger so that I don't have to listen to why you're angry. Yeah. It's, it's a way to dismiss people. Right. Uh, justifying suffering. I think we talked about that one. Replacing action. This one we see a lot with prayers, especially that, you know, you want to do something and you can't. And so you, um, or you feel like you can't do as much as you want to. And so you say a prayer and it's a little ritual that says, okay, I did something um, rather than actually doing something that will help. So spiritual bypassing can sometimes involve participating in spiritual activities in order to feel superior or to get around having to take any meaningful action. So instead of talking about a conflict, you'll meditate. Instead of participating in your community, you'll visit a temple. Instead of confront confronting your discomfort, you'll recite a prayer. And so the tricky thing with spiritual bypassing is 
is meditation good? Yeah, really good. Really positive mental health benefits. We talk about meditation all the time on this podcast. Visiting holy places, uh, mantras. Are these things bad things? No. Um, and that's the really th tricky thing with spiritual bypassing is you have to check in with yourself and say, am I meditating because I'm avoiding having this conversation that I know I need to have over here or whatever the thing is? Am I saying a prayer not because I really am just wishing goodwill for this person um, and telling them and letting them know or whatever? Or am I doing it so that I absolve myself of having to feel like I haven't done enough for this person, right? Yeah. And so it's really your intentions behind your actions, which is why spiritual bypassing is so tricky to catch because these are all good things like meditation. These are good things. Um, but we have to look at our intentions to see, are we avoiding something? Yeah. Within the system, we came from you, you know, putting somebody's name on a temple roll, um, dropping off a casserole again, to some extent is a way to avoid really walking in the house and mm -hmm. sitting with somebody's pain and the hard thing that happened to them. Um, there are in every faith system, there are thought stopping techniques, which is a form, I think, of spiritual bypassing. Um, there are mechanisms that are in place to signal to each other that we are a good Catholic or a good Mormon or a good Jehovah's Witness or whatever it is. But in reality, those mechanisms keep us from actually dealing with things. I, in the system I came from, when I went to church on Sunday, everybody dressed nice. And it was kind of understood that we're not going to talk about our hard things here. We are only going to talk about our successes. Um, and when anybody got real and said, man, life is really hard. This isn't going well. Um, we tend to like, let's get back to the lesson. Um, those also tend to be forms of spiritual bypassing. Here's a good one. Uh, lose yourself in service. That's an interesting yeah. one, especially for women is because we have, is service a good thing? Yes. Will you get a ton of mental ben mental health benefits by serving others? Yes. Can't, but can that be used to say that you are not allowed to have needs and boundaries? Yes. It's so, it's so tricky. Yeah. The phrase itself, put it back up there for just a moment. The phrase yeah. itself is telling uh, whoever's listening that you are to replace yourself with something else. Look at that. Lose you and gain this. And the reality is you shouldn't have to pick and choose between those two. You should be able to um, ask for uh, others who care about you to sit with you in hard things, and they should be willing to. And you should also be allowed to give service, right? It's not a either or. It should be this and that. Right. There was this terrible commercial. Um, it was like an ad for for the religion that we came from. But I see similar ones in Christianity where, um, you know, it's like a sister was coming in and she really this mom really wanted to go and go to dinner with her sister. But she had like, you know, five families who just like someone needed a casserole and someone needed this and the kid needed that. And then in the. Um, in the commercial, she ends up saying no to the sister and saying yes to everybody's needs of her. And it was like this, it was even, even in the moment, I just remember thinking like, wow, like the message here really was serve yourself because you have no needs. You know, you should have no needs or boundaries or desires and you just have to exist for other people. And like, wow, that is tough. <laughs> mm, totally. that, that is a tough thing. And then it's so it's so tricky too because 
there have been people who like drop something off because they feel like they should and they check me off their list. And then there's also people like when Flo fell out of the window, they genuinely baked bread with all of the love in their heart and came and you know brought it to me as some way to help, you know, help feed my family so that I didn't have to cook for my family. And you know, on the receiving end, you don't always know, like this is a really spiritual bypassing is a really personal thing. I don't know when someone's meditating and dropping off a casserole and doing all these kind things, if they're doing it, you know, for um, really wholesome reasons, or if they're avoiding something, or if they're getting high on their own spiritual superiority. Um, we can't always tell from the outside because this is such an internal, um, it's just such an internal thing. Yeah. All right. Cool. So three tips for avoiding spiritual avoidance, unless you had something. Okay. Say that again. Uh, so next I had three tips yep. for avoiding spiritual avoidance, unless mm -hmm. you had something else. Mm -hmm. um, so avoid labeling emotions as good or bad. If you really um, want to dive into that, I would go back to our Buddhist episodes because nobody um, does non judge like teaches you how to hold non judgmental space for emotions better than better than Buddhists. Um, that's just what they do. So go back to those episodes because we really dove into that. Um, remember that negative thoughts and feelings serve a purpose. They're there to tell you something. Um, putting on rose colored sunglasses and ignoring the problem doesn't solve it. And then remembering that uncomfortable feelings are often a sign that something is wrong and something needs to change. We talked last week about how guilt can be a moral corrector for us. And so if we're avoiding feelings of guilt, we can be really avoiding things that need to change, that are demanding us to change in ourselves or in the world or whatever we need to do. If we are... Um, experiencing a lot of negative emotions about some kind of suffering if we don't sit with that then we'll never really experience the change of um what can i do to you know help as much as i can alleviate human suffering in the world yeah even the idea that you know emotions are negative right even that word starts you off kind of thinking that way so my, my thought too, is when I see that word negative emotions, what they're really speaking to is pleasant and unpleasant feelings, right? So sadness, fear, jealousy, anger, frustration, depression, uh, those are words that describe unpleasant or as it puts here, negative feelings. Um, they're the feelings that we all want to avoid if we can. Yeah. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to go over 10 common kinds of spiritual bypassing. And I really want you Bill, to like the one that you feel like, oh, this is me. Because <laughs> there's a couple that like, okay, there's me. And so I think as you're listening, you can really pay attention to, I'm going to guess that for everyone, maybe not everyone, maybe you guys are on a totally different spiritual plane than me. But I think for everyone, they'll at least be like a temptation. Like, oh, I feel tempted to do that from, from time to time. Mm. So the first one is optimistic bypass. So we've all come across people who are just, um, we're kind of born with however optimistic or pessimistic we are. 
but you know, focus on the positive, see the glasses half full, don't let a frown get you down. These are the catchphrases of people who use optimism, but you can take it to a place where you're not allowing any negativity. Mm, love it. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we kind of word these, you can try to figure out kind of in your own system where these, uh, where these have been taught to you. Sometimes they are taught to you by your family. Sometimes they're taught to you by your religious system. Sometimes they are the mechanisms we give kids uh, in school. Um, these show up in tons of different ways. Uh, but there are, uh, and, and, and again, Britt will go over these 10. When we get to the end, I kind of worded uh, certain ones that I think will strike very familiar with our audience. Um, and we can kind of talk about those as well. But uh, notice, as Britt said, notice which ones of these are ones that you picked up in uh, your being taught by your society or your religious system or your parents. Uh, sometimes it was given to you by a grandma or a grandpa who didn't didn't want to deal with uh, what they would call drama or chaos of life. But in reality, like, again, life is hard. We're all going to have moments where we're down. Um, I, I've been invited to parties where the invitation says, you know, bring good vibes only. So if you, if you lost a loved one and you're on day two after you did, you're not allowed to fall apart here. This isn't the place for you. Um, so some of that seems odd to me too. That's so funny. I bet like the eight side of you is like, I'm going to come, but I'm going to talk about human suffering the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't want anyone's drama either. But, yeah. but we all have to sit with people because we want people to sit with us when things are hard. And, and the, the more we all care and love each other enough to spend time uh, with each other, helping each other through hard things, the more connection we're all going to feel. And I think the easier life is when we share that burden. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's so tricky that the thing that makes human connection is vulnerability. And that's the thing that feels so scary to us, you know, yeah. like, why did we need that, that barrier to human connection? Um, so it's something we have to be aware of so we can have better connections. The next one is the aggrandizement bypass. And so this is adopted by those who seek to feel enlightened, superior, or somehow more awakened in their spiritual development than others. So claiming to have reached a certain spiritual coveted milestone is a type of self-delusion that some spiritual seekers use as a way from masking their deficiencies and their insecurities. So most commonly, this bypass is used by kind of self-proclaimed masters, spiritual leaders, um, yogis, gurus, people who make money in the spiritual world. I would put Teal Swan in this one. Um, where you almost get high on your, on the spiritual work that you have done. And so that is so tricky because a lot of times with this, you really have done some good spiritual work, but then if you stop there and say like, I am better than everyone else now because I have gone through these things or learned this thing or whatever it is, um, then you're going to start kind of limiting your growth because you're becoming high on your own, on the growth that you have already done. Mm, mm. Aggrandizement bypass. Yeah. And then I don't know if you ever, did you ever read, do the documentary on the Bikram yoga guy who 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, and I think I have. Um, I've watched a bunch of these, so I don't know which stories we're talking about, but I think I know which one we're speaking of. Yeah, it's the guy who, who I mean, he had so many followers, studios all over the country, right? Wasn't he sleeping with a bunch of women, and too? Then, yeah. And then, yeah, he started It always like, comes inviting. down to sex. Yeah, uh-huh. and yeah. then he started to really get... <clears throat> he used to start really talking about himself as someone who you know, knew it all and had it all. And, um, you know, he's the only teacher who's teaching this. That's, that's when you have to be really aware of with gurus is, are you the, they're the only one that's like teaching you about whatever trauma in your body or whatever the thing is. Um, and then, you know, he starts inviting the young girls to do private yoga sessions in his room, you know, that kind of stuff. And then like the whole system just collapses um, I think for me, I have a little bit of a temptation here, if I'm being mm-hmm. totally honest with myself. Yeah. And it's not because I have a large following or that I have a name that's really known. Um, there's like a really, really, really tiny niche of Mormonism that may have heard me before. Like that's where I'm at. So it's not that aspect. It's the aspect of sometimes feeling like I see things more than other people because of certain like spiritual things that I've gone through. Mm. Like I have studied the four existential fears and I have died, you know, on psychedelics and I have had these conversations for so long and I have studied X, Y, Z for so long. And there'll be a once in a while, there'll be a temptation. Like you are not even, you know, where I, where it kind of, makes me feel like or there's a temptation to feel superior it's there yeah no no, no. i i see some of that in me too there's uh there's a um sometimes there's a desire in me to elevate my voice above other voices because i'm bill real and i know something right (laughs) the reality is that anytime you have that thought get ready because something else is going to come along and uh, make fun of that or, um, humble you. I mean, yeah. And I think there's a fine line between, it's not like I have to say that my spiritual journey is like nothing and I know nothing. Right. Um, because I think I can, you can hold a space where I'm proud of the dragons that I've slayed and Mm. the things that I've faced and the hours that I spent out, you know, trying to learn something. I can still be proud of that and pat myself on the back for like, I learned something about myself or I overcome or I overcame something Mm. where it gets to be spiritual bypassing is when I'm leaning on that so that I don't have to face. I really acted like a shitty mom today Mm. or like I in this other aspect of my life, that's a total train wreck, which those exist for me. Um, You know, not wanting to think about those things and instead staying over here in this niche spiritual world where I know terms for things, you know, rather than facing like, okay, like spiritual, you know, to myself, you can, I say this sometimes all the time um, when I will say this to myself when I'm feeling the temptation that I've reached some new level or strata of, of, of growth is, you know, you really look at who you are as a parent and like, That'll bring you back down to reality. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, I'm not there. A... Wherever there is, I'm not there. 
<laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's really the line between um, uh, for spiritual bypassing is that you can be proud of your growth. You can be proud of the things that you've done in your spiritual journey when you're using that and leaning on that. So you don't have to face other more incomplete or deficient parts of you. Like for me, um, you know, writing something that I think is so profound and then snapping at a kid because they interrupted my train of thought and I'm going to snap at them wherever there is, I'm not there. Right. Um, but facing that rather than leaning on the spiritual work that we've done. Yeah. And everybody does this. I mean, I'm even thinking like Oprah Winfrey, how, again, no offense to her, but she, she hasn't had kids of her own and she constantly is kind of judging and imposing that parenting should be a lot healthier and easier than maybe it is. Um, and it seems as though it's a way to sort of dismiss the difficulty of real parenting. And so you're going to find that even the healthiest of people out in the world who are the greatest of places to find wisdom, uh, reading Brene Brown's uh, recent book on uh, the heart. What's the Atlas? Oh, Atlas, Atlas of the heart. Yes. The heart. Even in there, there are times where she talks about how she avoids dealing with real things and has to kind of self-check herself, you know? So uh, you're going to find this everywhere. Yeah, you're going to find this everywhere, but I think the temptation is bigger for people who spend more time in spiritual spaces, because if you spend a lot of time um, meditating or having conversations like this or studying this, um, there's going to be some growth there, and then there'll be the temptation to lean on that growth for your identity and ignore kind of other areas of your life that can be more more deficient. And yeah. so I think this is a really big red flag that you can look at if you're trying to decide if someone is worthy of being a teacher for you, you know, because the, the tricky thing is that we do need teachers and we need voices and we need people who are further along on the path than we are. Um, but it's also so hard because um, you have to find gurus who are not becoming high on their own sense of superiority and then you get involved in cults right yeah so it's we, tricky we are as much as you might think you're smart and wise we are all a hot mess yes yes and so if you ever get that temptation that um i see it a lot on both sides i see people who remain in the faith who have a sense of superiority because their testimony or their faith was strong enough to withstand temptation and then i see the people who are out have the sense of superiority that i made the journey out and then nobody's talking to each other nobody's listening to each other and um we all just become high on our own self-delusions of grandeur and then it all just kind of breaks down so the next one is um, victim bypassing. And this one is tricky because there are genuine victims, right? There are genuine traumas that people go through. So this is another one where like that line is like super thin. So when one becomes a victim of their gifts or of other people, it takes away the pressure of responsibility for shaping your life and taking responsibility for your own happiness. So this type of spiritual bypass is used by a lot by spiritual seekers who believe that they have extrasensory gifts, but due to their gifts, um, you know, they're unable to feel happy or healthy. So you can see this with empaths. So if you're an empath and you gen, I, I genuinely have people in my life who are extra sensitive to 
the vibe, emotions, whatever you want to call it. Um, and you have to check in and say, if you walk into a situation where there's a lot of trauma bonding, are you checking out because I'm an empath, so I can't be here? Are you doing that because you're setting a healthy boundary because you know that your spiritual, that your cup is not full enough to be in that space fully, or are you doing it in order to be able to give yourself a free pass from not taking on the responsibility of, um, sitting there with people and hearing their stories or whatever needs to happen. And so this victim bypass is, it can be with gifts or it can be with things that happen to you where you, um, kind of lose the responsibility of being responsible for your own happiness in your own life. And you're using whatever happened to you or whatever your gifts are to be able to check out. Yeah. I didn't get the promotion because my boss doesn't like me when maybe that's true. And if it is true, it is, but also maybe the reality that Jenny outperformed you or that you're not putting enough effort into your job. Um, there can be lots of reasons. And, and if you excuse it away by putting the blame somewhere else, then you never sit with the, the things you could be better at that would make you a better employer for uh, your company. This one is really, really tricky for me because there's just, it's really, the, the line is different for each person. And so it's really hard to generalize, but this is where, you know, I'm a fan of doing like trigger warnings so people can make choices about, you know, whether to listen to things. But I think that can often go too far too, where there's so many um, trigger warnings and protections and anyone can use a victim card to get out of anything kind of thing that, um, but it's really hard to say that because you never know if, if a victim really needs to like not be in that situation because it's not safe for them or whether they're using it to do spiritual bypassing. You really can never tell with another person. This is only internal work. You have to check in with yourself. Am I not going into this situation because I'm trying to give myself a free pass because I'm an empath or because um, this situation happened to me? And I know I'm going to experience negative emotions. You really, it's, it's really an internal game of knowing why am I giving myself a pass to check out from this situation or this feeling um, or else that victim card can actually end up in the end, really limiting you. It becomes your free pass for everything. You're muted, Bill. Sorry about that. There's gotta be ways that, you know, again, maybe we can talk about this kind of at the end, because uh, there's a really good question that comes up, and I, I think we should put this to the end, but this will play into it. You know, what is a healthier way than spiritually bypassing to avoid being overwhelmed? I don't usually have the capacity to think about all the suffering in the world, for example. And so when we get to the end, we'll bring that back up. But to talk for a moment uh, in this conversation about how folks can avoid spiritual bypassing, uh, but also be present for the world that's unfolding right in front of them. It's tricky and it's not something that you can ever do. I, I wouldn't even feel comfortable telling another person that I think they're spiritually bypassing because you just really never know it's it, this is an internal game. Um, but we'll talk about that at the end. That's such, that's such a good question because mm -hmm. I have very much struggled with the suffering that's in the world to the point mm -hmm. where like there'll be periods of like non-functionality. Right. Yeah. And so, um, that's, that's a really, really good question that we'll talk about at the end here. 
So the psycho not bypass. I am wondering if this is you, Bill Real. Let's see. Many spiritual seekers explore the frontiers of the mind, the soul, and reality through the use of psychedelic drugs such as LSD, DMT, psilocybin, mescaline, and other entheogens that expand consciousness. While psychoactive substances are a fascinating way of exploring reality like any other drug, they can be used to escape daily life and avoid committing to personal development and ensoulment. Um, I don't think so. I'm probably much okay. more prone to the video game bypass, <laughs> um, okay. which is just to uh, find fun things to escape in so I don't have to sit with hard things that are going on. I, for me, the psychedelics, yeah, it, I've never, I don't think I've used it as a form of spiritual bypassing. If anything, I get addicted to like the intimacy, mm. um, more than like the experience of, of whatever the drug is. So yeah. that's an interesting use, one. I certainly use my fair share of those things. And, uh, um, I think there are moments where it's a way to avoid the reality of life, but I, I don't see that as being a major issue for me. Yeah. And I don't, I don't do it enough where that's an issue for me either. And when I do do it, it's like with people because I'm, I'm wanting those, that intimacy with connection. friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The connection. Um, so I don't think I'm doing it to like avoid life. Like, like if at home I was just high all the time, I think that would be really different. Yeah. Um, the horoscope bypass. And we've talked about horoscopes. That's one of my favorite episodes that we did because it was just so fun to go through all of the occult and just kind of try to figure out what's crap and what's not. Um, so if you missed that episode, that is a fantastic episode. Avoiding the woo. Avoiding the woo, but also like giving space for things like archetypes, which does seem mm. to be very real and have some psychology behind yeah. it and have real studies with it. And how do archetypes show up in different ways? And, um, okay. So a horoscope bypass, when we frequently look outside of ourselves for help and guidance, as with the case of horoscopes, I would put tarot in this too. Psych psychics, we're failing to tap into our inner wellsprings of wisdom and strength and are allowing external predictions and patterns to control the outcome of our lives. So the horoscope bypass is typically derived from a fear and mistrust of ourselves, fear of taking responsibility for our decisions um, by trying to predict what's going to happen. And so I see this every time that I don't even know when this is, but whenever Mars is in retrograde, all the psychic people, like everything that they do that's wrong or um, forgetful or human, you know, anything that they do is human is like the, um, you just get to avoid it. You know, you just get to avoid taking responsibility for being human because you can say that Mars did it. And I hate when Mars is in retrograde. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know why I do it. So I'll get on Instagram and there's like certain, you know, like I'll, I'll click on some hashtag to see what all the psychics are doing. And I don't know why I do it because it just annoys me so much, but I find it fascinating. It's really like um, a really secure spiritual bypass in place that you don't ever have to look at your own humanness you can just kind of look at the planets influencing you right mm. and you can just put the responsibility then not even fully out there but even a little bit out there and then you're not really dealing with yourself 
Very true. Okay. The saint bypass. So as children, many of us were conditioned to believe that a spiritual person is always kind, compassionate, and saintly. In adulthood, many of us continue to repeat this story to ourselves and it can create tremendous suffering. The saint bypass is a reflection of extreme black or white thinking, promoting the underlying belief that spiritual people can't have dark sides because that would make them unspiritual. This type of spiritual bypass is essentially avoiding one shadow self, which we've talked about shadow work many times, by overcompensating with the guise of a sweet and heavenly exterior. The martyr complex is a major symptom of this kind of bypassing. Do you have I, any experience with the saint bypass? Um, I, I, not personally. It, it really comes down. I remember being a kid in the eighties and watching WWF wrestling. Now, you know, formerly WWF wrestling, now WWE. They got in conflict with the World Wildlife Fund, but there were always good guys and bad guys, right? Hulk Hogan was always a good guy, and the Iron Sheik was always a bad guy, and. We are raised, and again, this isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think children do need to be given simplified concepts, and I don't think it's healthy to impose to a five-year-old or a 10-year-old that the world is not binary. Um, I think that can actually do damage. And uh, there's actually research that's come out in the last uh, year or two that's pointed to uh, unhealthy ways to raise children is to share with them just how much harm is going on in the world and how many bad people there are. Um, so I, I think it's natural for us to be raised with these binary ideas of good and bad and for us to perceive that people are all good or all bad. But at some point, if we hold on to that view, we, we, especially on ourselves and our expectations of others, we're going to impose that people be all good or all bad. And the reality is even among the worst of us, serial killers, um, probably love their, you know, not their mother, I guess, because that's probably part of the reason why they're a serial killer. <laughs> but there are really unhealthy people in the world who still do good things. And there are really good people in the world who still do bad things. And the moment you allow people to be good and bad, you can also be good and bad, as you pointed out, your shadow side. And, and so putting the expectation on yourself or others that you have to always get it right is going to cause you to avoid showing your real self, which isn't all good. Yeah. I had a moment where I was at a funeral and, um, it was, you know, it was a sweet Mormon lady and, um, all the things that were said about there, it was, it was when I had already kind of, I was already out at this point and I had this really like strong adverse reaction because all of the, um, all of the comments about her were like, she never, she, you know, she had eight kids or whatever. She never complained. She was always positive. You know, all these saintly things. She always, she never raised her voice, this kind of that. And everyone was kind of um, praising her. And I was in the back, like bawling because I just got this like overwhelming feeling when each commenter came up and said something about her that was like, she just, always gave. She never took any time for herself. And I wept because I had this feeling like this woman was never allowed, never felt like she could be a good person and not be perfect, you know, or like have her own needs or have a shadow side or have um, thoughts that weren't perfect thoughts, right? She was never shown that she was allowed to have that 
for her whole life until she died. And just like the weight of that, like I wept for this woman when everyone else was praising how, how saintly she was, because I just know that unless she's an alien, she was human in some way. And for whatever reason in her life, she was not allowed to be human, whether that was placed upon her or she placed upon herself. I don't, you know, I didn't, I don't know this person well enough, but I just wept in this bat in the back for this woman who was being described as a saint, because I, I just know that if, if she really did have eight kids and never complained once, um, what was it like to be in her brain where yeah, she there, felt like she couldn't, what right. would it have been like to feel like, you know, with her sleep deprived, eight kids, the amount of laundry never complained. That to me says like, wow, what intense pressure this person put on herself until she died, hoping for hoping to go to heaven for being a saint. And I just wept in the back for this, for this woman. And no one really understood why I was like losing my shit, but it's a funeral. So like, maybe they just thought I really love this person. You're really close to her. Yeah. <laughs> I really wasn't, but like, the weight of that was just so heavy. Oh my gosh. And then the other one that I think of is mother Teresa. So we know from mother Teresa, we know from her letters that she would say things like, I think everybody else is feeling God, but I don't feel this. Or I think God loves everyone else, but me, or I think God has abandoned me. He's been silent for so long. I don't even know why I'm doing this. Like real human doubts, human thoughts. And the fathers that were kind of over, you know, her um, diocese or whatever you call it, um, would just say, oh, that just means that God's trusting you more. Or they would always just like sideswipe her doubts and her fears and her um, suffering. And they never let anyone else see it. And she never spoke about any of that openly. These were private letters. And then when she dies, you know, the Catholic Church, they... They uh, come up with two miracles and then now she's a saint. But when we look at her private letters, this is someone who really of doubts, who had dark nights of the soul, who um, sometimes struggled with what, what she was doing or what the purpose of all this was and where is God in any of this. And it was always hidden so that she could be a saint. And it was like, uh, she was so much more complex than just a service-minded saint. She was human too. She had doubts too, but it was completely overshadowed by the Catholic church. Yeah. When you mentioned this funeral that you were at and this woman was spoken of in such a way that it seemed like she never really had any issues that were central about her. It, it as you pointed out, it makes me feel as though that person inside their head felt so unsafe to, to share their authentic self and to share their hurt in the hard parts of their life um, for whatever reason, because it was never, because her parents made it unsafe because her spouse made it unsafe because um, whatever reason she had an expectation that somehow she would disappoint and not be acceptable if she didn't wear the facade of everything being okay and only worrying about other people, because inevitably life will have things that knock you down. Yeah. I, I wish we could like appreciate someone like mother Teresa as a person, but the spiritual, you know, the religious system that she was in, she would literally give a speech about God during the day. And then at night, write a private letter that she didn't even know if she believed in God anymore. And she had to live in that kind of 
you know, dichotomy and that soul wrenching space. Um, and she wasn't really given space to be human and wrestle with her doubts about God because mm. um, the the message was you're a saint. Saints don't do that. Right. right, right. And that is just so heartbreaking. The next one is the spirit guide bypass. Um, I don't know if I see this one as much, but in some spiritual traditions, it's a God who protects in others. It's like an angel or an animal or um, some ancestor. Uh, while at certain points in life, it can be helpful and soothing and supportive to feel like we have a spirit guide and it really easily becomes a crutch. So re relying on spirit guides to give us our insight and protection and sustenance really keeps us in a spiritual infant state because we have to be, instead of saying like, oh, I had this really great insight or I'm working towards this, it's always given to us by a spirit guide. Um and so we fail to develop the strength of spiritual character in ourselves because it's really dependent on um, the kind of spirit guide kind of relationship. Mm. Yeah, I don't have a, I don't see that a whole lot either. I don't see that a whole lot. Mm -mm. I mean, sometimes it'll be like in passing, like, oh, my spirit guide kept me from crashing. You know, it'll be like that one. Yeah, but Jesus, it's like, take the wheel. Yeah, Jesus, take the wheel kind of stuff. Um, but not not as serious. I feel like that one is not taken as serious as some of these other ones. The prayer bypass, this is one that we mm. see literally, literally every day. I mean, there's always some even to the Republican point where, saying thoughts and prayers to the school shooting or whatever. Yeah, Even to the point where in the system we came from, it was even one layer deeper, which is I'm not even going to say the prayer. I'm going to assign another group of people to say the prayer for this thing that I wish would help some other person that I don't really want to get close to and hold their pain. So I just would take their name and put it on a prayer roll. And then another group of people would say the prayer for them. So I got to avoid the prayer and the doing something that was real and help lighten their load. Right. Yeah. Which is so interesting. Cause I think there would be a way to like gather, like, let's say one of your friends in your really core circle was really struggling with something and you wanted to make a ritual where that person felt really um, seen. You know, I could see a group of people really loving someone and I don't know, writing their name on a candle and lighting a candle, some ritual like that, that would actually be meaningful. That would be like, hey, we're all coming together for this person. So I think there's a way to do that without spiritual bypassing, but definitely from the the way that it became codified and whatever in the system that we came from, it was definitely just like write their name and like I invited all these blessings for this person. So I don't need to do anything. Yeah. And, and just to go back to the spirit guide one, a couple little comments here. You mean like the Holy ghost, we do <laughs> yeah. do that, right? Like I'll say a prayer and go, dear Holy ghost, please help, uh, you know, Jenny to, to know that, uh, that, that I care about her. And instead of actually picking up the phone and telling Jenny, you care about her. Um, sometimes we use, I guess, the Holy Ghost as a spirit uh, spirit guide. And then she says, I, I've known people who said it wasn't me when I compliment them because it was Jesus helping me or the Holy Ghost right. helping me. And so, again, we separate ourselves from the actual what's going on inside of us internally. Right. And it almost sounds like it's more humble to say, like, oh, that wasn't me. That was the spirit or that was Jesus. But what it does is it keeps us as spiritual children yeah. where we never take responsibility for the good and bad things that we do. You know, oh. I think it's OK. Want my ritual at the end of every night, because 
um, I wanted something to just kind of close the day and check in myself with myself. That wasn't the traditional prayer that I came from. I will say one good thing that I did that day. And I literally like pat myself on the back. Like nobody saw that when that child lost their shit, you were so patient. And I like give myself a high five for that. Right. And then I say one thing that I can work on so that I'm holding myself accountable and, you know, something I'm grateful for. And that's like my little thing that I do at the end of the day. Um, because I miss, yeah, because I, I miss having a ritual of, of having that check-in thing, but I'm trying to do it in a way where I'm holding myself accountable as an adult and I'm not a spiritual child looking at planets or spirits or gods or whatever going on around me. I'm just taking responsibility for what I'm doing, both good and bad. So the prayer bypass, similar to the spirit guide bypass, it circumvents personal responsibility by putting faith in a higher being to solve all of our problems and issues. This probably bothers me the most with like second coming stuff, like people who really, really will not even listen to like what's going on with the earth because Jesus is coming. I mean, that is one of the most obvious forms of spiritual bypassing. Like Jesus is coming. He'll clean it all up. Like that one bothers me a lot because that affects me, right? While praying can be in healthy practice, it can become limiting and misguided. Sinking too much into passivity is an imbalanced way to live life and can easily lead to disaster. We must learn to take action and trust our own instincts, be responsible for our own actions and be responsible for our own, our own mistakes, you know? Okay. Totally. Somebody just said, if Brit can swear, I can too. Yes, you can. You can be yeah, spiritual yeah, and swear. <laughs> yeah. We, by the way, we didn't, again, this was before you came on board, but we did an episode on swearing early on in the Almost Awakened podcast. And there are some science behind uh, intelligence connected to using swear language. Not that people who swear are dumb or people that do swear are smart, but just that there is a certain sort of intelligence in uh, the use of swear words. Um, and then also too, swear words, there's a science behind what kinds of words are chosen. They tend to be uh, words that have harsh uh, sounds at the beginning and the end. And they mm. really do connect with our ability to express something inside of us and to be able to move from it and let it go. It, like, there is a, a releasing attention into the world that happens mm -hmm. when you drop the F-bomb. Yeah, I have heard that. And there's this kind of no-nonsense yogi that I really like to follow on Instagram. And he said his favorite thing to do when he's like, you know, his rage or his anger or whatever is at a 10, he'll sit on his mat and he looks totally serene and he'll go, holy, and he'll breathe in, holy, fuck, and he'll just say it out loud. And he'll just sit there kind of until that, whatever that intense feeling was just kind of fades. And being able to say the word that matches the feeling can just help name it and just kind of mm. get it out. And so it was so interesting to see like from where we would come from, where um, we kind of use this, especially women, you know, uh, so no swearing and then also kind of like this softer, more childlike way of speaking. But then to see this like Yogi just, just scream on his mat, holy fuck, when he was in that emotion, right? He's in that emotion. He's not saying it, um, because of something stupid. It was just really interesting to, to see that coming from, from where we come from. Yeah, no, no, I love it. All right, next one is the guru bypass. It is often beneficial to follow a guru, shaman, or spiritual teacher to learn or grow. I have, I have a few that like I would consider 
some that I know, some that I don't, and I find their stuff online or whatever that I consider to be like um, a spiritual teacher. They're further along this path than I am. However, becoming too attached to such people can rapidly turn into another form of spiritual bypassing, the temptation to begin worship knowingly or unknowingly spiritual teachers means that we eventually forget the purpose of listening to them to integrate the essence of their teachings by treating the words of a guru or master as the irrefutable truth and failing to think for ourselves. We fall into cult like groupthink, and we're starved of true spiritual growth and transformation on our spiritual journeys. And for me, this one is tricky because we do, we need teachers and we need to all be in conversation so we can learn from each other. And then we all have a temptation to just say like, to make the world easier. I'm just going to listen to this person. This person seems to be smart. And so it's one of those things that we need. We need spiritual teachers, but then we have to resist the temptation of, of thinking that they know everything or just saying, I'm going to listen to this person. Even if that person is really, really is smarter than you really is whatever on some better spiritual plane, however you define that. As soon as you make that move that this person, um, I'm just going to follow this person, then you're going to lose, you're going to lose your own spiritual transformation. Yeah. For folks who are listening in your life, in your religious system, in your culture, uh, were there voices that were out, outer authorities? They were outside of you, but they were inside your system. So whether it was, uh, church leaders, whether it was, um, uh, your parents, whether it was um, a, a teacher or some other person who, because they said the world works a certain way, when reality um, ran up against that, and in, 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 again, looking with hindsight, you look back and you go, yeah, somebody brought to me some new truth, but because my outer authorities told me that that thing wasn't true, I had dismissed it for so long. So, for instance, in the system that we came from, there are certain views that are given, theological, doctrinal, whatever, that forever when, for instance, uh, my church taught me that people being gay was a choice. So when suddenly um, the world gave me uh, reality, which is it's not, I pushed that off for years because I trusted my outer authorities to be right rather than seriously consider the information that was coming into my view. And so when I see the guru bypass, it is a way to go like, look, my, my guru, my voices, my outer authorities, they've told me what the rules are. And anyone else who says something that disagrees with that, I easily dismiss it. I know it's not true because I've already been told by my experts that it is not true. And, and it allows you to dismiss people. It allows you to dismiss ideas. It allows you to dismiss feelings and experience simply because some person who you trust to be the expert has told you to dismiss it. Um, so anyway, that's, I think to me, the guru bypass is the one I see the most um, in this space of mm. the things that I deal with and talk about and, and try to help people with. The tricky thing is that we, as humans, there's just too much information out there for us to learn everything on our own, right? And so the tricky thing about this one is that we do need um, experts because we can't learn everything. We can't know everything. Right. Um, 
but then we have to, you know, and so we need teachers, we need experts, we need spiritual gurus, um, or at least people who are good at, you know, putting good spiritual messages out there. And then, but we just have to resist the temptation. And so even for me, I still will sometimes feel that temptation to just like fall in with whatever per this person who I trust as an expert is thinking. I remember there was one time I was listening to Christopher Hitchens, who's a huge like hero of mine, right? Super, in super um, interesting guy. And he had a complete opposite view of the Iraq war than I did, right? It's not important what it was. And I remember instantly thinking because I, I, I had this moment and I, I actually watched myself in this moment where I was almost willing to just like completely jump sides to his view because I trusted this guy so much. Um, and it was so interesting that, you know, I was, I had the temptation to do that just because of one kind of offshoot comment that he said, because I so admired this person and he had been so influential in my, in my faith deconstruction. And so um, the tendency is there. Like if all of the gurus and experts died in their sleep tonight, within a couple of days, we would replace them all, right? Because we as humans all have the tendency to make gurus out of people who are smart or experts or spiritual or whatever. So that temptation is always there for the guru and for the follower. Yeah. Maybe one little tip would be whoever your outer authorities are and even your own inner gut, like find ways to disagree with them. It, you, no one is, you should never agree completely with another human being. So if I, for instance, I'm a huge fan of Sam Harris. There are things about Jordan Peterson that I deeply love. And there are other parts of Jordan Peterson that I'm like, I, I disagree with you completely, Jordan. Nobody should be above um, uh, critical thinking and kind of meshing their statements with what your gut tells you and what your research says. Uh, anybody who you go like, yeah, I just, I trust them with everything they say, you're probably doing the guru bypass. Hmm. Here's a question regarding anger is bypassing. This was back when we were doing, um, uh, is it called, which one was it called? Victim. I think it was earlier on earlier when we were talking about anger, where um, you can bypass what someone is angry about by saying, Oh, that person's angry. So I don't have to listen to them. Yeah. Right. Because then it gives you a little free check to not have to see what they're so angry about. So if, what if one knows and understands the anger common in marginalized groups, but still regards certain strategies to deal with the anger as unhelpful thoughts. Regarding anger is bypassing, what if one knows and understands the anger common in marginalized group, but still regards certain strategies to deal with anger? So what I would say to that is that, yes, sometimes anger can be a place that people stay at. Like it's it, like our group gets together just to vent about the other side, right? Um, there are also times where anger can prompt a mob mentality. There are times where anger can... Um, be a really unhealthy place to stay at for a certain amount of time. Like, again, I think we all experience anger and there's nothing unhealthy about being angry, but the way in which we utilize it. So it, my, my two cents there would be that if anger is keeping you from moving forward in your life, 
then maybe anger isn't the the best it, it, the best mode. And as this person seems to be indicating, um, they seem to sense that uh, it's okay for a person or a group of people to be angry, but again, it shouldn't be the thing that kind of stagnates us or holds us still. Um, it would be really hard though to tell someone else. I think it's time to move on from your anger. That's the tricky thing. So I yeah. think in response to that question, I would say because all of this, you really can't know from the outside looking at the person, even from what they say and what they do and all these spiritual things, we can't know their internal motivations. It would be very hard. I would have to know someone really well and have a relationship where we call each other out or, you know, that kind of relationship for me to say, I think it's time to let this anger go and move on to a healthier place. Right. Um, because you just really don't know, um, anger comes from our sense of injustice. And so if you have given your, like, you're a 45 year old woman, you've given your entire life to some kind of patriarchy in order to burn that off, it's going to take some time of anger to burn off all of that injustice that you felt had been done to you. Right. And so it'd be really hard for me to look at a group of some marginalized group and say, it's, you know, it's time to move on from your anger. That anger comes from a place of injustice that I need to sit with and learn from and look at and feel. Yeah. Um, and it'd be really hard for me to tell someone else it's time to move on to a healthier space, or maybe there's a better tool for whatever. Um, I'd have to really know that person and have that relationship of trust where we could call each other out before I would feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, there have been a lot of moments in my last decade where people have assumed that I'm simply angry, that I can't move on. And I would much rather those folks come sit down with me and go, hey, here's what I, I perceive, but I'd love for you to talk about it. Like what's going on on your end? Is, how would you define what I'm seeing and let somebody else tell their own story uh, rather than you go, hey, you're just really angry and you need to let it go. Um, I, as you're pointing out, you would do it in such a way that it would be somebody you have a level of trust with. There's a level of willingness to let each other speak to those things they perceive to find out if they're truth or not. And I think that is a real healthy adult conversation. So yeah, I wouldn't just go up and say, you know, you're really angry. You need to let it go. Rather I'd go, Hey, yeah. here's what I perceive. Um, please speak to that. I'd like to understand you better and what's going on. And really once the, uh, rather than tell a group of marginalized people that their anger isn't helping their cause, um, even if that were true, the anger kind of has to burn out on its own. Like it's a stage that has to go through its own journey. And so even if you wanted that group of people to move on so that they could um, have other tools of, um, you know, gaining more rights for their marginalized group, and you really want that for them, you can't tell them, you know, you need to skip this phase, right? Because the anger has to really burn. It, it has its own time. It has its own timeline of um, kind of burning off that, that, that injustice. And every time someone, you know, swallowed their conscience about something, um, anger needs its own time to to kind of burn all of that off. So yeah, that's a tricky one because even if you want people to move out of the angry phase or a group to, even if you really want what's best for them, um, 
it's such an internal thing and you'd have to really know that person to have that conversation. Otherwise you don't know if that anger really does need more time because, because it was quieted for so long and not allowed as an emotion for so long. Right. We yeah. see that a lot for, for people trying to shut down angry people is that, Oh, they're not acting saint like, so they must not, you know, have a holy message when often they really do. Yeah. And, and I would hope that we would make space for people to feel unpleasant feelings and to sit with those to the same degree that we make it safe for people to feel pleasant feelings and to sit with those. They really should be in balance. Um, and again, life is hard. So if, if people are in the middle of dealing with something that's difficult, and sometimes those difficult things can last weeks, months, years, decades, um, people should have a right to feel authentic feelings about that experience. And so it's, it's really easy on the outside to say, Hey, I know your, uh, your wife has gone through, you know, cancer four times and all the things that's come with that, but you really should look up. You should really, you know, keep your chin up and be happy. Um, people should have a right to feel whatever it is that's legitimately going on inside of them. Yeah. And that's a really, that's a struggle as a parent. This is where, um, Anytime you really want to see if you're a spiritual guru, just check in with your parenting. Like, do I really allow all emotions to be safe inside my house? Oof. <laughs> sometimes, you know, yeah, sometimes. Not always. On um, my best days, it'll be like, guys, I'm experiencing some frustration because of X, Y, Z. I'm going to go out and take a walk. And that's modeling to my kids that, hey, I'm feeling this emotion. It's okay to feel this emotion. I don't want to take this. Um, I don't want to take this out on you. So I'm going to go go on a little mom time out right here. And on a good day, you know, I, I tell my kids, it's totally safe that you're feeling this emotion and let's put our problem solving brain on and work through it. Do I always do that? No. <laughs> Sometimes I say, stop crying because I cut the chicken nugget in half. It's so, it's so illogical. You're being so crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, Bruce Perry, I think that's his name. He co-authored a book with Oprah and uh, he wrote a book called What Happened to You. And the whole gist of the book is that when somebody comes to us with uh, unpleasant emotion or with uh, behavior that we would deem unhealthy, rather than say what's wrong with you, which is kind of a facet of like, don't be angry. Like, what's wrong with you? Mm. The reality is we ought to sit down and say what happened to you? Like, what what's going on with you? Like, why are you feeling this? What's What's your life experience at the moment that has you feeling these things? Because again, one of those is empathy and one of those is not. Mm, good one. All right, last one, and then we'll wrap up here. Finger pointing bypass. At some point on our spiritual quest, we begin to see through the lies, delusions, and crazy behaviors committed by our fellow human beings. And this can make us angry, downhearted, and frustrated. However, when we get caught up in everything is wrong with the outside world and other people, Dedicating our lives to the self-righteous quest of finger pointing, this can be another form of spiritual bypassing. Finger pointing instills us with a false sense of righteousness, taking the responsibility of looking inside and working on ourselves. At its roots, the finger pointing bypass is sourced by egocentric separation and fearful avoidance of our own shadows. I would say I see this the most with people whose politics have become a religion. Um, even like a cult sometimes, but when, whenever, and I see this even with young people. So young, for a lot of young people, their religion 
like all the tools that you used to get from religion, they're getting from their political, social justice, whatever topic that they're into. And the problem with that, the danger with that, and why I've always said, if I had to choose between putting my kids in a religion or having their politics be a religion, I would choose the religion because with politics, what happens is the other side is always wrong and bringing down America and stupid and whatever the, the script is. And you never have to look at yourself. See, at least with religion, once in a while, you'll hopefully bump into some really cool truths, some gems of wisdom. But with politics, it's like it's all the tribalism and none of like the soul stuff and it is just so dangerous when we see uh, political parties or social justice warriors or movements um, become a false sense of righteousness where you're not seeing the other side. You're not seeing the core values of the other side. You're not seeing the dangers of your own side. You're just finger pointing at this other side. And then, you know, you get on your Facebook and your Instagram and because of the algorithms, you only see how your side is so smart and figured it out. And the other side is so stupid. And it's just a, it's just a black hole for spiritual growth. You're muted. Yep. I just, I, this is one that um, I, I probably do a little bit of. Um, I, I often tell my kids or if my kids bring me a problem, or if my wife brings me a problem, um, I'm very prone to want to kind of, uh, what's the old fix the nail, right? There's that video where, uh, the one where the wife is venting and the husband's trying to offer solutions and she doesn't want the nail fixed. I'm often telling my kids and my wife how they can solve their problems. Like, Hey, this is because this happened or you did this or you're at fault here. And reality is just as I easily jump to the idea that I have the solution for them to fix the thing that plagues them. The reality is I have things that plague me that have been going on for years, maybe decades that I still haven't been able to fix. And so sometimes finger pointing is a way to think that, you know, problems are easily resolvable as long as there's somebody else's while kind of failing to recognize that uh, your own problems, your own weaknesses, your own flaws, uh, your own shadows are things that you have struggled for decades to to address and overcome. Um, we all are a product of patterns. We're all a product of things that happen to us. And it's easy to see someone else's life experience as easily adaptable or changeable. Uh, and somehow we never really see that with ourselves. Same thing. You're, you're muted. Yeah, it is easier to see in others other than other than ourselves. And I think it in our, in this current environment where we've become so entrenched in whatever our tribal thing is, whether it's like veganism or the crossfitter or the keto warrior or the, this political thing or the um, black lives matter or whatever, whatever the, whatever the camp is um, it's really hard because some of these social justice things or health things they're so needed right we we want to make our country better we want to hear more stories but then the temptation the spiritual bypassing temptation is to be get become so entrenched into your camp that you can no longer see your camp shadow side and you can only see kind of the um the issues with outside of the camp 
And yeah. so I think, I mean, this is, this is really rampant in politics. It's really hard for people who are entrenched on one side or the other to see the core values of the other side, to see the tools of the other side. And that's why last week we were talking about, you know, who would we trust to be in positions of leadership? And that's why for me, the biggest thing that I look for to see if this voice is even trustworthy or not is will they call out their own camp when their own camp goes too far, right? Mm. And um, because that tells me that, oh, you're not just a tribal echo chamber kind of voice. You at least, you know, at the very least can see the issues in your own camp and also see the virtues in other camps outside of you. And if you can at least do that, I feel like I'll listen to you. If you can't do that, then I just know that you are just in your camp and you're not going to see any other point of view. So maybe I'll listen to you for a second, but I certainly couldn't trust you as a voice, you know, that I want to go to when I'm looking for an expert voice on something. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me read off a list here of things. I, I don't have anything else really to add to the conversation we've had. I know you've got kind of a concluding statement and we also want to, um, we also want to kind of address that question. But what I wanted to do is, as I was thinking about this topic and as you put the outline together and I saw the directions you were going in, I wanted to word some things in ways that maybe the majority of our audience would deeply relate to. They're things that they have heard. So here's number one, just have faith. God works in mysterious ways. It's a mystery. Are all thought-stopping techniques to have you dismiss the contradiction or the problem or the discrepancy that you perceive. Faith healings. Uh, have you put off medical concerns longer than you might otherwise? Uh, paying tithing might have might have you see God as responsible to solve your financial problems when in when in reality paying God puts you in a deeper financial hole. Uh, contention is of the devil, so disagreement and feelings of anger and frustration are able to be dismissed. It also imposes you must avoid your own feelings as well. Um, number five, seeing anyone who disagrees with you as bad or an enemy or unworthy of your consideration, the chafe, the apostates, the tares, the sinful, the lazy, the fallen, the lost, the confused, even the minions of the devil, right? Number six, there must be something God wants me to learn here. Um, anytime something bad happens rather than go like, man, it's just a coincidence and something really shitty like, happened. Yeah. Maybe I effed up really bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it could be not even intentional, right? Like it, it may not be something you caused. It may be something that just happened to you, but by, by putting it on God to be giving you the good and giving you the bad, uh, you sometimes are sidestepping actually dealing with what's happening. Um, number seven, prayer as part of a formula to solve problems, believing that spiritual practices such as meditation or prayer are always positive. You, you mentioned that one earlier. Toxic perfectionism where you must accomplish so much and check all the boxes, which keeps you in a continual state of unworthiness or burning yourself out. Uh, number nine, theology and religious mechanisms and practices that impose that you stay detached from considering another's view, their personal life experience, relating to their diversity, unable to sit with their trauma, uh, a few more here uh, in systems where any feedback or criticism or feelings that are negative or critical are not safe. They're not wanted, not even allowed. The adherence to that system insist that we avoid such in any and all relationships, which leads to people fitting in and pretending to be a version of themselves that leaves out the real difficulty and trauma of life. Only focusing on the positive or being overly optimistic isn't real. 
Number 11, thinking that people can overcome their problems through positive thinking. Uh, maybe this is sort of the same one. Uh, at times they might, uh, let's see here. While thinking positive at times might be a step in getting out of a hole one is in, often life presents trauma and difficulty regardless of our mindset. And part of healthy processing and regulating of our mind and body is to be able to sit with our feelings and to be permitted a safe space to be present with them. Number 12, thinking that you must rise above your emotions. Pick yourself up by the bootstraps. 13, authority used to create power dynamics where one side has the answers and the other side is not to question, which simply uh, does not allow any sort of conversation, doesn't allow disagreement, doesn't allow all sides to be presented so that we can find the best answers. Number 14, a system or path of rituals where achieving outward markers replaces real inner growth. Number 15, you mentioned this earlier, gaslighting. Uh, number 16, uh, and this was just a kind of an overall thing, denying difficult emotions, dismissing other people's emotions, avoiding responsibility, judging others, justifying suffering and how much that hampers growth. It, when I left my religious system, I finally experienced what I would call real development. I was, I was making real changes in behavior, real changes in pattern uh, of thought. And that didn't happen until I let go of all the things my system gave me to sidestep that. And I began to look in the mirror and go, these are the parts of myself that I want to change before I take my last breath. And I'm going to start reading, thinking about wrestling with and sitting with all of that so that real change starts to occur. Anyway, just I, I thought those because the system you and I came from and a lot of the listenership came from that. Um, I thought those would be phrases or rhetoric that might might resonate with them. Yeah. And what I love about this list is like it, it begs the question, what is this going towards? Because checking your kind of motivations as you're on your spiritual journey, you know, like we mentioned a lot of traps that we all kind of fall through mm -hmm. or temptations that we have. So why do all this work of trying to avoid all that and feel the things and why do that? And I think the answer to that is, is greater connectivity. Like mm. by not spiritual bypassing, um, by not bypassing my emotions um, and the emotions of others and the pain of others and, whatever's going on in the world and really sitting with what is um, the benefit. If you're thinking about why even do all this work is the connectivity. I mean, real, real, genuine human connectivity where I'm not using any tricks to get out of the pains that come from intimate relationships. And because of that, now my intimate relationships are just, I mean, I thought that I had friends before, I really thought that like, oh, I have friends like, yeah, I'm intimate with people. And I just until I started doing kind of this work, shadow work, spiritual bypassing work, this kind of inner work, checking my motivations. Am I listening to you because I'm listening or am I thinking of something clever to say next? Until I started to do that internal work, I didn't really know what intimacy was. You know, I didn't I thought I had friends, but not like I do now, not like the kind of nakedness. I can, I can have now and to be fully human um, without those kind of bypassing tricks where you try to think of yourself as a better person or whatever the temptation is um, being fully human and loved and seen and accepted 
in your fully human form, shadow included, um, is, is really makes life really worth living. Mm, I mean, that, that is the carrot at the, that is, that is what this is going to is that the intimacy and in relationships really being loved for all of you, right? Totally safe for all of your thoughts and all of your feelings and all of your humanness and all of your, um, deficiencies and Mm. still being loved in that space. Oof. That's the good stuff. Yeah. That's that's the good stuff. Yeah. Uh, All I can add to that is I've felt that to, um, deeper and more significant degrees in recent years. And I wish, uh, for all to receive it. Right. Yeah. Like I wish everybody would take a piece of that. Cause it it's, is, it's hard to explain. Mm. Cause it's like, you know, ha- have really good friendships where you can be honest. I really thought that I was doing that. And until I did the inner work, um, you know, I, I didn't know how much I was kind of using these tricks to avoid certain things. And then when you avoid things, you miss out on the deep intimacy, you mm. miss out on fully being human with other people who are fully being human. Mm. And, and that has just been the greatest blessing on the other not that I'm done with this work. I am continually doing this work, right? Especially because when you're in spiritual spaces, there's a lot of um, temptations for spiritual bypassing. So I'm still in this work. But um, starting to at least do this work has really, really increased my um, ability to really be vulnerable and intimate with other humans to the point where you just really feel loved in a totally naked space of just Mm. you. And that is just really uh, the blessing on the other side. Yeah, those are my best moments on this planet or when I feel that. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, so that kind of connects to what uh, Aaron here is asking. So let's kind of sit with this for a moment. What is a healthier way than spiritual, spiritually bypassing to avoid, avoid being overwhelmed? I don't usually have the capacity to think about all the suffering in the world, for example. It seems, Britt, as though um, we live in a world where if we allow it, people can overwhelm us with the, the chaos of their life, right? And certainly people feel unpleasant things and we're not obligated in, in discarding spiritual bypassing, we're not obligated to take on the rest of the world's pain. So what do you think about this question and what are some of your ways in which we kind of draw the line and what's healthy and what isn't in navigating that? Yeah, it is such a good question. And it's getting to all of this stuff has just been really fine line stuff, right? There's not a clear cut way that we can see, oh, you're definitely meditating in a good way and not a spiritual bypassing way. Like, like that is a really thin line that really only you would know, right? Not other people would know. So for this one, like, if you just want to say, okay, so I'm going to try not to do any kind of bypassing. So I'm just going to feel everything all the time. Well, yeah, you're going to, you're going to burn out because there's a lot of suffering in the world more than we're capable in our human bodies of ever even holding, right? There's a lot of pain in the world. Um, And I've thought about this a lot because I have been, I have had times where I'm really overwhelmed with the, uh, and it hit me at a young age, just like, for whatever reason, at a younger age, I seem to sense the, you know, the suffering of the world that seemed to weigh on me when everyone else seemed to be doing just fine with the suffering in the world. It bothered me. So I understand this question. And I think um, what we have to do is we just talked about how we're accepting of how human we are. And so 
for me, when I'm thinking about like, let's say I watch a documentary and it's about some horrible abuse situation or some country where there's just so much poverty and I'm sitting with it. Um, what I will do is um, I'll admit that I'm human, which means that I will not always be in a place all of the time to feel all of the things, right? right. And that is just giving me the blessing of just saying that I'm human. But that doesn't mean that I um, will just go and avoid the thing. So I schedule time for like, I watch this documentary and I'm going to be sad for a while or I am going to donate to this cause or whatever I'm going to do with that feeling. But I think it's also okay to say, you know what, my emotional cup is so empty right now. I'm not going to be able to fully sit with this documentary. So I'm going to save it for another time. Right. Or I am not fully able to like my empath people. I am not fully able to hear this person's story because I am just to the brim. And I really want to be with this friend when I'm fully present. So I'm going to reschedule this lunch, not because I'm spiritually bypassing, because I do want to hear their story. I do want to hear their pain. I do want to hold it with them. Um, but I want to do it at a time where I'm more able to. Right. And so for me, it's like really checking your motivations. It's OK to have boundaries. It's OK to set times for things. It's OK to say not right now um, because we are human and we have limited capacities. But I think, I think we all know the difference. If you really check in with yourself, am I checking out because I don't want to feel this thing? Or am I rescheduling this thing for when I'm more able to take it on? And I think that that's okay to do because we're human. Yeah, what I, what I hear you saying, I'm just going to repeat these. So I hear you saying the capacity to hold hard things is limited. Like I, I'm a human being. I can't promise you that I can hold everything all the time. Um, I, I have to pick and choose when I'm feeling overwhelmed, which leads to uh, the second one, uh, which is boundaries, right? Like, hey, I can't do this right this moment, but give me an hour, give me a week, give me give me a few days and I'll reach back out when I feel like I am in a space where I can hold this with you and I'll sit with you and we can talk this over and figure this out. And then the third one I think you also hit on, which is self-care. So you get to pick when things are overwhelming and you get to step away from that kindly uh, most of the time. Again, sometimes it needs to be abrupt. Sometimes it needs to be stern. Um, but most of the time we can do it kindly and allow people to know like, hey, I'm, I'm at my limit right now. You're not going to get the best me in this situation. I need to do some self-care and I will return when I'm ready to hold it. Um, all three of those would have been the same things I would have said as well. Those are the three, I think, ingredients to stepping away from spiritual bypassing, but not volunteering to take on all the trauma in the world. Yeah, because we can't. And then if someone thinks, well, like, how, how can I possibly like say, no, I can't hold your story right now. Like, how can that possibly be the right thing? Um, because some people's stories, I mean, gosh, like the things that really happen in real people's lives. Um, but then when you really try to think about this logically, that we're a human with finite resources, we're finite effort, finite time, all these things. Um, if you try to do all the things, if you try to experience every single emotion in, in, in real time and all of the suffering in the world in real time, you'll burn out and you'll be on the couch being a help to no one. And so if you're there, um, 
of course it's better to do self-care and boundaries because then I can show up for my friends with my whole heart, right? I can show up for the world with my whole heart. Um, and that's better than watching documentaries about all the sad things and lying on your couch crying all day, every day, being a help to no one, right? Yeah. So um, I do think it's okay to admit that we're human, even in our ability to hold suffering, to feel feelings. And it's okay to um, schedule things and do self-care and have boundaries as long as you're doing it so that you can show up as a better human rather than doing it to avoid never having to think about it. And only you will really know the difference because us on the outside I can't know with your actions, whether you're mm. setting a boundary because you need it because you really love me and you want to show up for me at another time when we go to lunch or whether it's because you're trying to avoid uh, whatever issue that I have or whatever's weighing on my heart. O I on the outside would never be able to know. Only you know why you're setting boundaries and it's okay to do it from a place from I'm human. Yeah, love it, love it. Um, the only last thing I would add before you give kind of your final thoughts. Uh, folks, if you do me one giant favor, if everyone that's listening right now, um, as soon as Brit is finished, we close off the episode, go on to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're at, find the Almost Awakened podcast and give us a, you know whatever review you feel about the work we're doing. Currently, we have a 4.9 out of five. We've got 55 uh, ratings on uh, iTunes, for instance. But if you'll go on whatever app you listen to this, wherever place you are, subscribe, hit the like button, and give us a give us a review. I'd love to check back in a week and see that instead of 55, we've got 155 reviews. That would be amazing. Um, folks, that would help us out a bunch. Um, Britt, again, I'd love to hear your closing thoughts on this, but another beautiful episode. And I, I see some of the comments saying that as well. It, it is it is enjoyable for me to be in a space where we can talk about second half of life things and really help people and ourselves, to be honest, figure out better ways to show up as a human being. It's a joy for me too. So last week, last episode, it was my birthday and I don't mention it because you kept it's a secret. I know I found it's out not after. a secret. It's so dumb. I don't know. I've always been just kind of like meh about birthdays anyway. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, my, my husband wanted to show what do you want to do today or what can I do when he's, he took the day off. And um, rather than reschedule, which I could have, you you would have been totally willing to have me reschedule. I just said, you know, what? I want you to take the kids out so I can podcast. Yeah. And it's and it's because, like, you know, there's a thousand things you can do on your birthday. I could go get drunk somewhere. I could, I don't know. I could go do a lot of different things. I could, but what I really wanted to do is just sit down and just have a conversation about life because that to me is just such a gift and such mm. a rare thing that I get to do um, with someone who can really be vulnerable with themselves. Right. There was multiple times in this conversation where we said, I don't think that I do this. I think I'm doing a pretty good job. Oh, I have a temptation here. Yeah. And I just I just love that so much that it's what I wanted to do. And so he yeah. took the kids out to a trampoline world so that I, we went out later. But um, but it's because I enjoy these conversations so much. So if you enjoy these conversations, too, please let us know. Um, if there's things that you want us to cover, people you want us to interview, um, think feedback on how we can make it better. We are all ears. 
um, because Bill and I just love to have these conversations and hopefully yeah. you get something out of the work that we're doing here. Love so it. my last thoughts were just, um, you know, it's a beautiful and dark world out there. We're all beautiful people. We're all shadow people. The greatest gift of noticing spiritual bypassing and resisting it is that we're able to face reality better with eyes wide open and our um, intimate connections get so much deeper. Mm. And um, there's just so many people that don't understand why can't my family see me? Why can't, why can't this person see me? And if, if they have a deep pattern of spiritual bypassing that they don't even know um, it's almost, you can almost be compassionate because their brain has kind of hijacked their ability to fully see you and fully love you. Um, and hopefully you can at least understand that so it's not as painful and find other people who are doing inner work so that you can um, be in a tribe that really sees you and love you because that's what really life is all about. Those are my peak experiences as a human is really being in those moments. So be vigilant. Spiritual bypassing is everywhere. It's just as rampant in kind of deconstruction uh, secular spirituality stuff that Bill and I like to hang in now as religious systems. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of traps. Um, and so just kind of be aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it and, uh, be on this journey with us of, of trying to figure out what you're doing and why you're doing it so that you can, um, really be working towards the best you that you can be in the best relationships that you can have. Yeah. Um, I, I want to be the best human I can be and whatever that means. And uh, conversations like this are deeply helpful to that because I get to sort of sit with my own shit uh, and also recognize how another human is different than me. And I think those two things together are, are two big ingredients into uh, second half of life development. And it's the very thing that, talking about spiritual bypassing is. Yeah, it helps me to have more compassion, which helps me on um, not, you know, getting high on my own spiritual growth. Um, when I understand that, when I understand more about the brain, right, and what what cognitive biases are and what bypassing is, when I understand all that, it helps me to be more compassionate to other people who maybe aren't acting the way mm. that I would want them to act, right? Um, that they come about that honestly and that they still have something um, that I can learn from them or they still have some goodness that I can um, be inspired by. And instead of kind of walking around um, making fun of other people because they're in a religion or they haven't done psychedelics like me, right? That's not going to be how I'm going to get to my best self. Love it. Great job, Britt Hartley. Uh, folks, if you like these conversations, if you like the things that are going on, go to almostawakened.org, click the donate button, send a few bucks uh, our way. Uh, also, if you're watching this on YouTube, just to the right of the video, there should be a donate button or just underneath. Uh, you can send us a few bucks that way as well. Um, we're, we're, our goal is to just keep lining out conversations like this where we talk about uh, how humans are and what we can do better to be our best self. Uh, Britt, thanks again for putting this together. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Okay, everybody, have a great day. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, 
or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.